had a mom and dad that really loved me and instilled in me certain things that I should do and certain things that I should not do. And uh, there are many things that they tried to instill in me. And uh, over time, I, I would break the laws of my parents. Um, I, I dishonored my mom and my dad. There are times that I spoke against them, worked against them, and made things very difficult for them. And uh, my life became a life that was seeking the pleasure that could only come from people. In order to please people, you have to do what they want you to do. Always remember that. In order to please people, you have to do what they want you to do. And God has never called us to be people pleasers. Now, Some people will be pleased with us as we do what God would have us to do. But most people are not going to be pleased when we follow God. And I wasn't looking to follow God. In fact, I did whatever I could to get people who were, who were saved and following after the Lord to not look, to not do that. Um, I would curse the name of God. I would use the most vile words. I was a drunk. Um, I had dabbled in, in marijuana and smoking, all things my mom and dad told me not to do. I remember when my mom washed my mouth out with soap. From the time she washed my mouth out with soap until the time I was about 16 years old, I don't think I said an, I, I don't think I said another swear word. It's true. <laughs> but then one of the guys on the football team and I played football and I, I wanted to not just be a good football player, but I wanted those guys to really like me. They asked me a, Question, little ones, you're going to hear this one day. Why don't you say bad words? Now, you're not going to be asked that question if you use bad words, if you say bad words. But if you don't use bad words, if you don't use the F word, if you don't use the name of the Lord in vain, if you don't use the A word and all the other words, listen, kids, one day your friends are going to ask you why you don't do that. Now, here's why they're going to ask you. Listen carefully. It's not because they're curious about why you don't. It's not because they're wondering, oh, that, that person's a little different and they don't say bad words like I do. They're going to ask you because they're going to want to get you to say those bad words. That's why they're asking. It's not because they are wondering why. It's so that they can manipulate you to start saying bad words. Well, that's exactly what your pastor started to do. I started to say all those words to where I was probably the best. It was a ter- just a terrible thing that I could hardly go a sentence without using a bad word. And it really, it really hurt my reputation with some people, as it should. And I did a lot of things to please people because I wanted them to like me. One of the things that every Christian is going to have to get over is that they they want people to like them. Because some people are not going to like you because you do things and don't do things that they do. And they're not going to like you because of that. It's not a good reason to not like a person. In fact, it's probably the worst reason a person could have. To not like someone because they don't say bad words or they don't get drunk or they don't do this. 
What a ridiculous thing, and yet it happens all the time. And so listen, it's very important. One day, little ones, and adults too, you're going to have to get over the idea that I, I want to please people because if that's your goal, you will do what they want you to do rather than what God wants you to do. And so that's the way I live my life. And, and, and it was, I want you to know, miserable and more and more and more miserable as I lived it. I remember when I went to school, I went to college, and I met Christians, and they didn't say bad words, and they didn't get drunk like me, and they didn't do things like that. And yet they seemed happy. I was trying to be happy doing those things. They were happy not doing them. And they started telling me about Jesus. And I remember between my freshman and sophomore year, I said, well, then I'm going to be a Christian. I respected those guys. I thought they were, they were, I thought highly of them, and I, I wanted to have their life, so I said, I'm going to be a Christian. I'm going to go home. I'm not going to say any more bad words. I'm not going to drink any more beers, and I'm not going to do any of that stuff anymore. Well, if I thought my life was miserable before, it was even more miserable living that way. Now, I'm not saying that a person should go and live in sin because it's less miserable than trying not to sin, but it's true. Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye that are burdened and heavy laden, I will give you rest. One of the burdens that this world has is trying not to sin in order to please God. Jesus said, no, no, no. That's a great burden. It's a burden you shouldn't have. Instead of doing that, come to Me and I'll give you rest. Well, that whole summer, I, I tried to do my best to not do any of those bad things. And I want you to know, I didn't make it through the whole summer without not doing those bad things. I remember going home one night in my car. I had drunk a lot. I went home. I could be in jail today. I praise God for His mercy. And if He didn't grab hold of me, I would probably be in jail today or have a DUI and different things. There's no doubt in my mind. Driving drunk, that's bad, isn't it? I went to school, back to school my sophomore year and went right back to those guys. The year before, they'd asked me to go to church. I'd say, no way. I'd get mad at them for waking me up in the morning. They started asking me to go to church. They, and they kept asking me, praise the Lord for the faithfulness of God's people. Even though I told them no every, every Sunday, I told them no, they came back and they, they asked me again. And I said yes. Started going. Went and bought myself a Bible at Walmart. Paperback. That's all I could afford. You know what it was like when you're in college. You buy paperback when you're in college. Started going to church. And I remember being in a church like this one. And, you know, I'd, I'd sought, I, I wanted to know what was true. I didn't know it. I'd heard the gospel, but I didn't know it. And I said, Lord, I don't know what is true. I remember bowing my head and I asked, Lord, I don't know what is true. God, I don't know. But I know you do. You're God. You know what's true. And there's all this stuff out there that I could believe. What do you want me to believe? And that day or the next day, one of my friends gave me a book called Ultimate Questions About God. I read through that book right up to a certain point where it said, if you're not going to ask Jesus to be your Savior, 
He died on the cross for your sin. He rose from the dead. But if you're not going to ask Him to be your Savior, don't read anymore. I said, fine then. I put it down. I didn't read anymore. The next day, I picked the book up again. I read right up to that point. And I remember reading that prayer. And I meant it. The night before, if I would have read it, I wouldn't have meant it. That night, I meant it. I said, and I asked Jesus to be my Savior. I said, Lord, I'm a sinner. And I, I talked about, I talked to Him about some of my sins. Now, I didn't know the extent of my sin, but I talked to Him about all those things that I could think of. I said, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. And You died on the cross for my sin. You, I believe this. And I asked, I said, I told Him, I believe You, you did this. And I'm asking you, Lord Jesus, to save me. And there was no bright flashing lights. Angels didn't come out from heaven and sing, though they were in heaven singing. I didn't hear them. And I put the book down and I went to bed and I slept. And I woke up the next day changed. I began to read my Bible every day. I went to church Every time I got an opportunity, I would, I would go to my friends. They'd have Bible studies. I'd go to their Bible studies. I would underline passages. I started to memorize certain Bible verses. First Bible verse I ever memorized was in Hebrews chapter 4. Um, Word of God is a two-edged sword piercing even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit of joints and marrow is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Very first Bible verse I ever memorized. I loved the Word of God. It changed me. God changed me. I began to really love the Word of God. I remember I, soon after that, I began to, you know, when I left Rhode Island to go to North Carolina, I said I'll never, ever, 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 ever move back to Rhode Island. I'll visit mom and dad. I'll say hi to my brothers. But after a week, I'm out. I will never go back to Rhode Island. Soon after that, I was I was in Rhode Island during Christmas visiting my my mom and dad, and uh, it was late. It was probably two o'clock in the morning, and God just was impressing upon me that this is where I'm from, and there are lots of people that need to know about Jesus. And I said, Lord, if that's where you want me to go, that's where I'll go. And so I never said I won't move back to Rhode Island. In fact, I started telling people one day I'm going to move back to Rhode Island. I'm going to move back to Rhode Island. And, and I praise the Lord that He's brought me back here. Both my brothers have made profession of faith in the Lord. My mom got saved this past year. I tell you what, she's an encouragement to me. Her faith in the Lord is contagious for me. And I praise the Lord that even though her walk with the Lord may be shorter than mine, I think she... I know this to be true. She has much to give me. And I praise the Lord for it. And I remember going back to school. I graduated from college. And I said, Lord, this is what we're going to do. Now I've got a lot of debt. And so I'm going to go and I'm going to get a good job. I'm going to make $100,000 at this job this year. I'm going to pay all my debts off. So that's all we need to do, God. A job, $100,000. Now there were guys that had gotten jobs for that they were getting paid $100,000. So it could be done, right? And uh, so I went out, started applying, got hired at CVS making pictures for $7.85 an hour. 
you got to work a lot of hours to make $100,000 in a year at $7.85 an hour. And uh, it was part-time. And it got to the point where I couldn't even pay the rent. I was eating hot sauce and rice. And if it was really good that day, I'd be able to add a little shredded cheese. And uh, that's what I would have for my meals. It was, it was a great, great time. And uh, there I was... I got home one day and the landlord put on my bedroom door, not on the door on the front door, but on my bedroom door, if you are not out of here by tomorrow, I am kicking you out. And uh, so I began to live in friends' homes and, and things like that. But I, I remember crying out that night at the very end of my rope saying, God, I told you what I was going to do. I told you this is what we're going to do. In fact, my plan was to make $100,000, go to seminary, pay off all my loans, get some more debt, and then go and train at some some church in North Carolina or South Carolina, and then 15 years after that, make my way up to Rhode Island. I wouldn't be there. I wouldn't be in Rhode Island still with my plan. And uh, I said, God, I'm sorry. I, I should not make plans with myself. I'm Tomorrow, I'm just going to live for you. I called my dad, asked him to help me with one month's rent so I was able to stay one more month. My dad helped me. My dad didn't have any money. He helped me. I praise the Lord for that. But two days after I confessed my sin to the Lord, Pastor Nadi Oak, Pastor Chris, I didn't even know his name, but I had gone to church there several times. Went to nursing home ministry at, on, at Christmas time and sang at nursing homes. Practiced softball with him. Went to church. He called me up and said, this is Pastor Chris. I didn't think it was... He said, this is Chris Baker. I thought it was the youth pastor. He was the pastor. He said, I'd like you to come up for the summer and work with us in Rhode Island. And That was on the machine. I remember finishing the machine and, and literally falling down on my stomach and weeping that this was happening. God works. And that was February. By April, I was in Rhode Island. I haven't left since. Eight years after that, God led me here and it has been wonderful. Because God works. And I want you to know God works. And He will work in you to lead you to be the person and the minister. By the way, we call, we call the pastor the minister. But God has called us each to the ministry. To be those who give the gospel and teach others the precious word of God. And this is the message that Paul has in this passage. And so if you take your Bibles there, and I want you to look there in 1 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to start there in verse 12. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12. I love speaking about what God's done for me. You're really so good. He's continuing to do it. It's amazing what God does. Whenever I think God's not doing anything, I just stop for a moment and start going through all the things He's doing. He's done. Then I start to get to the present day and say, wait a second, you are doing stuff. <laughs> You really are working, God. 
That work He does is for us, you know, for people. But anyway, look at there. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12. And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me for that He counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Howbeit for this cause I obtain mercy. That in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on Him unto life everlasting. Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God. Be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Would you pray with me for a moment? Father, I do pray that You'd guide the rest of our time together. That You'd help me to convey Your message to Your people. And may Your message not be on deaf ears for me. That they fall upon ears that are ready to hear. And hearts that are ready to be changed. Starting with me. Please, Father, I pray in the Lord Jesus Christ's name. Amen. As we look at the life of Paul, we see a man who was probably the single greatest minister of the gospel the world had known, except for Jesus himself. And even as Jesus said, you'll do greater works than these. And the numbers of people that Paul impacted were greater than Jesus. Now, he had a lot longer to do it than Jesus did. But we see a man who ministered for the Lord. And how did he do it? What made him so great? I want you to know it had nothing to do with Paul, for he was, if you look there, in verse 13, a persecutor. He persecuted the church of God. He wrecked, that's what he said in another place, he wrecked the faith of believers. He caused sincere believing Christians to say, I don't believe in Jesus, to get away from his rods, from his beatings. Paul was a persecutor. He was injurious. I want you to listen to what the word injurious means. It means to enjoy the suffering of others. That was the heart of Paul, who was Saul at that point. He loved when people suffered. What people did he love to see suffer? Christians. He loved it. That's what that word injurious means. You hear the word sadistic about a person who loves to see others suffer. That's what Paul was like. When when people would get beaten in his presence, he wouldn't cringe. He'd rejoice. Can you imagine how dark his heart was? It was really dark. He was injurious, uh, but he obtained mercy because he did it in unbelief. By the way, everybody who persecutes Christians, they're doing it because they don't believe. And so you may have said bad things about Christians. You may have said bad things about the Lord. You may have used His name in vain. By the way, I want to take one second. Be careful of the way you conduct yourself on Facebook. To you, OMG, may mean, oh my gosh. But a lot of people, when they read it, they're hearing, oh my God. Which is taking the Lord in vain. And don't, don't 
don't use phrases that are going to cause people to say bad words in their mind. L-M-A-O. Every time I see that, I hear a bad word. And I, that's just the truth. And so I just encourage you, don't, don't use that language on Facebook. He said, I obtained mercy. I did it ignorantly. I was an unbeliever. I didn't believe in Jesus. Praise the Lord. Paul came to know the Lord Jesus Christ. The first thing that each one of us must do if ever we are going to live a life of ministry for God is we have to be saved. We have to be saved. We cannot do the work of God without Him. Without His salvation. And so Paul says in verse 15, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. He said, I want you to know this is true. Jesus came to save you and to save me from our sins. And that's what He did. He died on the cross for our sins. And everybody who believes this Everybody who by faith trusts Jesus Christ to save them will be saved. Will be saved. And so if you've asked Jesus to be your Savior, you're saved. And if you're going to live for the Lord, you must be saved. If you're going to minister for God, you must be saved. But I want you to notice, in verse 12, he says, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for he hath counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Now understand this, Paul did, he is, as soon as he got saved, he began to tell people about Jesus. There's no doubt about that. That's what he says. But his work in the ministry did not happen for at least three years after this. And I want you to know, we would not know the name of Paul. There would be no books in the Bible written by Paul, except that he weren't first faithful. And his faithfulness did not begin the day he got saved, Because faithfulness, listen, this is very important. Faithfulness takes what we believe and extends it into eternity. What do I mean by that? I mean, if we believe something, what we do will prove we believe it for how long? Forever. You see, as soon as we say we believe something, And we start doing something, but then we stop. We are not proving that what we believe, what we believe, we really believe. We're not faithful. Now, faithfulness always has to do with faith. It always has to do with faith. Now, what is faith? Faith is believing something that you cannot see that is. And so... What is our, what is the object of our faith? The Lord Jesus Christ. We do not see Him, but we know that He is. So, sometimes people say, well, He is faithful to the gym. But, is that really faithfulness? No, it's not. He may be dedicated to the gym, and there's a certain quality that's good, but it's not faithful because it's not based on faith. You see, 
He's dedicated to the gym because he sees the muscles. Right? He sees it. We say, that lady is faithful to her husband. Well, what does that mean? If it means that lady is, is, loves her husband and cares for her husband and, and helps her husband and, and stays married to her husband because she believes God is true and what God has put together, let no man tear asunder. If that's her spirit, then is she faithful? Yes. If it's because he's rich and she likes being rich, is that faithful? No. Do you see the difference? Paul said, God saw me faithful. And so what should we be faithful to? What should our lives represent that we continue in, we continue in it, in our good days, our bad days, we continue in it, we do it because we believe in the one we can't see, but we know He is. Number one, if we're going to be counted faithful, we are going to be faithful to God's Word. I promise you I would not be here if I did not love God's Word. There's other things I could do that are easier than pastoring. But I love God's Word. And I, I think maybe from the very day I got saved, I loved God's Word. I don't remember all the way back, but I know within a week I was reading the Bible every day. Like I said, I was memorizing the Scripture. and I want you to know, yes, I was faithful to it, but it was because it was based upon something I believed with all my heart that I can know God. And I did know Him. And I continue to know Him. And so I cannot say that I've read the Bible every day. That would be a lie. There have been days that I have not. But it would not be a lie to say that I've read the Bible 95% of all days since I've been saved. I couldn't put, it, I couldn't put a, a number to it, maybe higher than that. I don't think it's lower than it, though. Why? Because I know what God has said, and I believe it with all my heart. And I've known Him, the God of all creation. He's let me know Him. If you're going to be able to minister in this world for the Lord, you'll be faithful to the Word. Number two, if you're going to minister for the Lord in this world, you have to have humility before God. What does that mean? The Bible tells us this. Humble yourselves before God and pray. You see, if we believe that we are a people of great need, we need God to work, guess what we're going to do? We're going to pray. If we understand that I'm nothing, God, you're everything. God, and Jesus said this, without God you can do nothing, right? You can do nothing. Well, if you believe that, guess what you're going to do? If you believe that we can do nothing without God, if that's your belief, by the way, that's a faithful belief, that's a faith belief, then what will you do? You'll pray, right? You'll say, God, I cannot do this without you. Would you help me? Parents, can you parent without God? Many have tried. We can look at a generation 
of parents who have tried to parent without God. And it's been an utter failure. Guess what, Christian? Just because you're saved and you go to church doesn't mean you're going to be able to parent your children. You must ask Him for help. And He is ready to help. And it's amazing what He does. How about your workplace? How about your relationship with your wife? Praise God for what He's wrought my own marriage. We had the opportunity to go on a date on Friday, me and my wife. It was great. It really was. We sat down in the at a Texas Roadhouse. It was going to take 30 minutes before we were able to get in. And we, we started talking. And it was just a joy to talk to my wife. And without the kids driving us up the wall, you know. And then Jackie and Ken, they were going to, they went to Texas Roadhouse. And so we, they invited us in. We got to meet their friends. And that was a blessing. And we got to eat together and talk together and ride in the car together. I want you to know, my wife was praying for that. And I was too. Because it's not always easy to get that. But guess what God did? Gave it to us. A real precious time. We need God. There's no husband that's a good husband without God. Number two, number three, we must be faithful to the body of Christ. I know you think I say this too much. We've had people leave because I say it too much. But I say it because I believe it with all my heart. Believe me, I gain nothing by more people being here. I gain nothing. I don't talk to my pastor friends about how many are in church on Sunday. When they ask me, I don't give a straight answer. I, I, I don't even count anymore. But I gain nothing. I gain nothing. If there's more money in the offering plate, the folks that count the money don't say, hey, pastor, there's a lot more money this week. There's more people, more money. Here's, here's, here's the extra. They, we don't do that. Why? Because I'm not doing it for money, number one. I'm not doing it for money but it's because I love the Lord. And the Gospel goes out and is able to go out with great measure as God's people are faithful with their money. By the way, that's not on there, but we ought to be faithful with our money. We ought to be faithful in giving to the ministry and the work of God. To the ministry and the work of God. We ought to. By the way, I don't think we can be effective ministers if we are not faithful with our money, because we have no faith in God with our money. But we have to be faithful to the body of Christ. We have to love God's body. Jesus is the head, we're His body. We have to be faithful. We have to be faithful to the gathering, to the assembling of God's people. Now, I understand that we go through life events that hinder these things. There's no doubt about that. You know, when my wife had the baby, she couldn't come to church for a little while. But here's the danger. When life events come, when they're over, we don't return. We don't return. I've seen that happen, and I beg you, don't let the effects of life lead you to a pattern that is not faithful. Amen?
I know this to be true. I know. People go through health things. They have people in their lives that are struggling with their own health. And and life takes over and God's with you through it. But if God's going to be with you through it, be faithful to Him when it's done. Number four, we have to be faithful to holiness. God tells us to be holy as He is holy. And we say that is an impossible task. The truth is is that none of us will be as Jesus is until we see Him face to face. But until then, can't we, if we sin, confess it to Him? Because He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins? Can't we by faith, when faced with sin, say no? In order to say yes to Him? Can't we? Sure. I think as we grow in the Lord, we can say yes to Him more and more, not less and less. But faithfulness leads us to say yes. I will be faithful to holiness. I'm not going to take lightly sin. I'm going to confess it. I'm not going to think sin is no big deal. I'm going to run from it. Hebrews 12 tells us, as we're compassed with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every sin. Get away from us every sin and the and weights which so easily beset us. We must be committed to holiness. The old timer said, it's the pursuit of holiness. There's a book written by that, but that was said a long time before the book was ever written. Preachers have been saying, pursue holiness. Go after it. What does that mean? It simply means this. Seek to be like the Lord Jesus Christ, who is perfect in all His ways. If we are going to be faithful, we have to understand we have to be enabled. Faithfulness does not come because we are strong. Faithfulness comes because He is strong. And we depend upon Him every day. You know what the truth is? None of us are faithful the way we should. None of us are faithful the way we should be. But our God is strong. He enables us. If you were not faithful yesterday, if you are faithful today, guess what? It's not because you have great willpower. It's because God is faithful even when we're not. And He will not deny His name. If He says, I'm going to work in you, I'm going to work in you. And finally, we'll close. If we're going to minister for the Lord, we are going to take what He does in us and glorify Him. In verse 16, Howbeit for this cause I obtained mercy. Why did I get saved? That in, in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which hereafter should believe. Our lives should be a pattern. A pattern for all those that believe. What does that mean? Our lives should be a recipe for others to know what it means to be faithful. Our lives should be... My daughter's been working with these um, 
I don't know what you call them, but you tie these strings and you tie the one color here and another color here and you tie 500,000 strings and you get a picture. Right? You know what I'm talking about? What is it? String art? I don't know what it is, but you, you tie a knot and you tie a knot here and a tie a knot here on each different square. It's a grid of squares and you keep tying them and if you tie them in the right spot, you get a picture. Well, how do you know where to tie them? Well, you've got the pattern. That's what they call it, the pattern. Well, guess who's supposed to be the pattern in this world for faithfulness? We are. Amen? We are the pattern. In another place, he says we are an epistle, a letter to be read of all men. May God help us. We so desperately need in this world ministers for the Lord. Those who are saved, those who are faithful, those who are enabled, and those who give their lives as a pattern to all who would look. Amen? Megan, real quick. Praise the Lord, He can untie the string and try again. He's quick to forgive and merciful beyond measure. And that's why Jesus died, by the way. He died for our sin. And by the way, one day, when we see Him, He is the ultimate pattern. When we see Him, we'll be like Him. For we'll see Him as He is. Darren, good question, brother.